0: It's great to be here today and uh, Pastor Mike sends his greetings from Israel. He says that uh, he has been all around Jerusalem at the Western Wall. He's been at the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, at the Via Dolorosa, Rosa, at Calvary, uh, at uh, the Dead Sea, Jericho, Bethlehem. He's been all over the place. He sends his greetings. I'll actually let him uh, send his greetings himself. Hey guys, I'm standing in front of the Wailing Wall. Uh, Sabbath is about to uh, happen as the sun goes down and folks are praying and placing prayers inside of the wall. And Just wanted to let you know I prayed for you today. Celebration center, uh, friends and family uh, spent some time at the wall just uh, interceding on your behalf and just believing that the God of miracles still does miracles today. Love you, praying for you. It's been an amazing trip, and uh, can't wait to get home and tell you stories. God bless. That's awesome. Uh, What a beautiful thing that our pastor's praying for us, right? And, uh, you know, that's, as as I said in the first service, that's as subdued, I think, as I've ever seen Pastor Mike right there. You can't be too, you know, excited at the wailing wall. And... um, but if, but if you know Pastor Mike, uh, he is a very energetic individual, but he has, also has a great passion for us as his church, and, and I'm so grateful for he and for Christine and for what God is doing in Celebration Center through, through their leadership. Uh, Lisa and I are thrilled to be a part of this church and under that leadership, and so uh, God bless Mike and you, Christine. I appreciate you. Um, this morning, uh, Pastor Mike asked me if I would share the closing message of the uh, Address the Mess series that he has preached on over the last four weeks, and, and my topic is messier. So when Pastor Mike thought about who is the person who could best uh, express how to make a mess messier, who is the person that I could ask to do that, he thought of me. So I'm not sure how to take that, but... Um, but that's that's the task I'm given today. so we're going to talk about in this final message of the series, uh, what causes our messes to be messier and how do we avoid that? I want to tell you a little story. Years ago, we had some friends coming over to our house and uh, we were Lisa was fixing dinner for them. We were going to spend some time with them that afternoon and then have dinner together and um, I had found out. Uh, just prior to them coming, actually the day before and then that morning, that we had a leak coming from the hose bib in the front of our house. And so I thought, well, how hard could that be to fix? And so I uh, I began to take on that project. So I went out, I I, I bought a new hose bib, uh, I took my wrench, I went to the front of the, I turned the water off, fortunately, I was had foresight enough to turn the water off first, I went to the front of the house, I took my wrench, and I began twisting that hose bib off. Now, if you know anything about plumbing, which I apparently did not know, uh, even though my wife's whole family owns a plumbing business, uh, as I was untwisting the hose bib off the wall, it wasn't actually screwed in, it was welded on to the copper pipe, so as I, yeah, thanks for that, as I... Um, <laughs> As I twisted the hose bib off, what I was actually doing was just twisting the copper. I thought it was a little hard to pull come off of there. I was actually twisting the pipe inside the wall until it completely severed. And I came out with a hose bib and a piece of twisted copper pipe, which then led to having to open up the wall in the utility room. And I then had to take a new piece of copper pipe and then attach a different uh, fitting to, for the hose bib, uh, and i had to I had to solder that or you know, that copper pipe into the fitting, Well, I'd never soldered before, but I thought how hard, how hard could this be and so I had a torch right and um, so I had coaching on the phone uh, because this was before the internet. I had coaching on the phone so as i'm as i 'm torching that and putting it in place, I caught the stud of my house inside the wall on fire, and um, I actually was able to put it out, so thankfully, the house didn 't burn down but I, I, I do have the ability to take a mess and make it messier. I took what was a small leak and I turned it into potential for a gusher, right? So um, how many of you have ever in your life uh, made a mess messier? Okay, right? Um, yeah, a lot of us have, have done that. And Here's why we make messes messier. It's because every mess comes with some bad options. Every mess that we get ourselves in comes with some bad options we can choose from. Tell another lie. Make up a story to cover. Cheat. Borrow more. Escape into an addiction. Post that angry thing on Facebook. We all go through messes. I'm going to ask, and please don't raise your hand yet, Uh, I'm going to ask who's in a mess right now, but I'm going to qualify that with some examples so you can choose from this list. Uh, If you're not in any of these particular messes, but if you're in a mess, but I'm going to give you a long enough list so nobody will be able to identify which mess you find yourself in, right? It could be a mess in a relationship, it could be a mess in your family or in your marriage, it could be a mess uh, that somebody in your family is in and you find yourself caught in the midst of their mess, it could be a work mess. It could be a financial mess. Maybe in your house, there's a drawer that's just a terrible mess. <laughs> or a closet that you don't want anybody to ever open that. Or maybe it's your garage that's just a terrible mess. Uh, maybe whatever that mess is. How many of you, somewhere in your life, find yourself in the midst of a mess? You have a mess to deal with, right? Okay, the rest of you, God bless you. And <laughs> um, You could just go, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> We all have messes. And the, and the encouraging thing about all those hands going up is we can commiserate that we all have messes to deal with. The question is how do we respond to the mess? How do we address the mess that we find ourselves in? We're going to be talking uh, about the story of in scripture of David and K- uh, King David and King Saul out of 1st Samuel 24. I want to give you just a little bit of background to that story so that it prepares us for what's coming in 1st Samuel 24. David Saul was the king, but David, uh, through Samuel, through God's word to Samuel, David had been chosen and a- anointed, is the word that's used, to be the next king of Israel. Uh, and he was just a young shepherd boy at the time when he was chosen. It was, he was an unlikely candidate, but he was chosen. God chose him. He said, you're going to be the king. The problem is that there was already a king. And Saul was jealous. And David actually began to grow in popularity uh he the, the the one of the well-known stories about David is of course there was there was this ongoing battle the primary adversary with Israel at that time were the Philistines and there's this ongoing battle between Israelites and the Philistines and here comes the, the Philistines against the armies of Israel and there's this big giant of a man named Goliath and he's taunting uh the armies of Israel and and uh, David just happens to come out from shepherding and he sees what's going on and nobody wants to fight Goliath and David's like hey I I can, I can fight the bear and the lion off from my sheep. How hard could this guy be? Just with his young enthusiasm, he actually takes Goliath out. When he takes Goliath out, all of a sudden, he's, he's lauded as a champion, as a victor, as this amazing soldier. And so he gains popularity. You see, when he was anointed king as a young shepherd boy, the scripture says in 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen, it says that the Holy Spirit was with him from that time forward. And so he's lauded as his champion. Now he's not only anointed as the future king, but now he is, people are writing songs, you know, Israelites are writing songs about him, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000, you know, so, so he's, he's got this popularity and it's growing. And, and Saul is getting more and more frustrated with this and it says in First Samuel 18 14 to 16 in everything he did he had great success because the Lord was with him when Saul when Saul saw how successful he was he was afraid of him but all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaign so he's a soldier right he's this he's this uh, leader he's this great leader and he's got the favor of God on him and everybody loves David but there's Saul he's the king so Saul thinks how can I how can I take care of this and he, he, he thinks well I, I'll tell you what I, I'll offer my daughter and I'll use my daughter who I know will be loyal to me and I will manipulate this situation that's how I can take care of David so he offers a daughter to to King David and says I want to give you my daughter in marriage And David says at this first offering of Saul's daughter, he says, no, 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 who am I? I can't, you're you're the king. I'm not worthy to take your daughter as my wife. There's no way I'm going to do that. So now not only is David this champion, this victor, but now he's this humble person. And that just raises his popularity even more. Saul is frustrated. And sometime later, Saul thinks, okay, I got to try again. And so he offers another daughter. He offers his daughter, Michael, and he says, David, I'll give you my daughter. How about my daughter, Michael, in marriage? And David likes Michael. So David takes him up on Michael. I don't know what was wrong with the first one, but he takes him up on Michael. And, and King Saul says, okay, if you're going to take my daughter in marriage, here's the price. The price is 100 Philistines. You've got to kill 100 Philistines and bring me back the evidence because because here's what Saul was thinking First Samuel 17b for Saul said to himself I will not raise a hand against David see David was so popular that if Saul kills David now he's got a problem with the popularity of the people right so I will not raise a hand against him let the Philistines do that I'm going to I'm going to sort of set him up to be killed by the Philistines so so David you go you go and kill 100 Philistines you bring the evidence back Then you can have my daughter in marriage. He thinks that'll take care of David. Well, David goes, and he actually kills 200 Philistines. (laughs) Brings the evidence back. Now, David's popularity continues to rise. Saul continues to get more and more frustrated. And here's the other problem now Saul had on his hands. David, I'm sorry, Michael, his daughter, falls in love with David. And it says in 1 Samuel 18, 28 and 29, it says this, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David... And that his daughter, Michael, loved David, so now he can't manipulate his daughter against David. Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. So here we have Saul the king, who's an enemy of David, Who's, uh, who's anointed to be the king. He's also David's father-in-law. And, and, and Saul becomes so enraged, he goes, goes crazy. In fact, it says the Lord lifted his spirit from Saul. An evil spirit came on Saul. He just went nuts and he lost it with rage and jealousy. He actually threw a spear, tried to kill David. Uh, it missed him, but David fled and was now running and hiding for his life from the king Saul, his father-in-law. So David finds himself in a mess. An interesting thing about this mess that David finds himself in is this mess was not his fault. It was a me- he, he didn't choose to be chosen to be king. I mean, it wasn't his. He didn't say, hey, I want to be king. He was just anointed king. He just tried trying to do the right thing. He, was, he, was, uh, he fought Goliath. He thought all these things he was doing. He was just trying to do the right thing. But he still finds himself in this mess. And sometimes we can find ourselves in messes that are, some, some of them are all for our fault, right? We put ourselves in the mess. But sometimes we find ourselves in messes that we really didn't have a lot to do with, but we're in the midst of the mess. David gathers, see there's other people at the time who our enemies of Saul too or who, who Saul had you know, created separation from, some problem. David starts gathering a band of men around him and uh, this, this little band of men became a band of 400 men. These were David's mighty men and so David has this band of men and there. He's trying to stay alive, protected from Saul. He's also, David's still fighting the Philistines because David was a warrior against the Philistines. The Philistines knew it. The Israelites under Saul is still fighting the Philistines. So there's all these battles that are happening. And so uh, the, battle, the battles are going on. David has his, his band of mighty men, And that's where we pick it up in 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 to 3. And it says this, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, another one of the battles, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So David, I'm sorry, so Saul took the 3,000 able young men from all Israel and and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now, this desert of En Gedi was not just a, a big, long, you know, uh, place of sand, it was actually lots of, lots of craggy rocks and hills and caves and all this kind of stuff. If you've ever been to Israel, you, you, you've probably seen this, like Pastor Mike is doing right now, like I never have, so I am dealing with the problem of jealousy right now. But through the power of the internet, I was able to see some of the landscape, and it's, it's a lot of rocky crags and outcroppings, and, and, uh, and then there's caves, all these little caves, and there's an occasional spring, uh, little oases. And, uh, and so David is, is uh, Saul's army says, hey, I think we found David. I think we found the area where David is hiding. And so Saul takes his army this three, and, well, it, it says this, 3,000 able young men and they go to look for David in this particular area in the desert of En Gedi. And they think they got David cornered, but... Um, David and his men, what they have done as part of their strategy, they've split up into little groups and they're hidden in different spots in that general vicinity so that they can't be as easily identified and found. And in verse 3 it says, "Of 1 Samuel 24, it says, He came to the sheep pens along the way. This is Saul. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. Okay, so this is one of the rare spots in Scripture where it says Saul was going to the bathroom. And so... So, so, so you can imagine Saul is leading his army of, of 3,000. They're all on their way to find David. It's hot. They're in the desert. Saul has to say, okay, hold on a second. There's a rest area ahead. We need to stop. They all stop. Saul gets off of his animal. He walks up the, the hillside, sees a cave up there, thinks that's a good hiding place where I can take care of my business. He goes up there and. Uh, begins to to take care of his business, but the end of that verse says, David and his men were far back in that cave. So of all of the places where Saul could have chosen to do what he needed to do, David and his men are in the back of that particular cave. David's men are thinking, what an opportunity. I mean, what are the chances of all the places and all of the circumstances and and how much more vulnerable of a situation could this guy be and this is our chance to take Saul out 1 Samuel 24 4a the men said David's men this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you I will give your enemy into your hands for for you to deal with as you wish David's men are like David God's brought him here. We can take him out. And I can imagine that David, as he traveled with his men around, you know, hiding and and uh, trying to protect their families or being separated from their families as they sat at night and they talked about what was happening. uh, They knew that David had been anointed as a king. That was known by these guys. And I'm sure they were saying, just think, there's going to become a day where Saul will be gone. You will take the throne. We will have all of the benefits of the throne and of that power. We will be able to lead Israel in a much better way. That day is coming. And I'm sure they just couldn't wait for that day to come. And now Saul, now they're in the back of this cave. Saul walks right in and he's completely vulnerable. This is their chance. And if and if David were to, were to come up behind Saul, take off his head, and walk out of that cave, it was a brutal time. This is the kind of thing that happened. Walk out of that cave with David's head in his I mean with Saul's head in his hand, in, in front of all of not only David's men, but all of Saul's men. David would have moved right into the kingship, right? With very little bloodshed, he would, he would assume the role that, that, that they all knew God had anointed him for. At the root of most messes is a breakdown of virtue. A breakdown of good character. And here's the thing. David as we said he was operating with the power of God's spirit. The spirit of God was with him. And the spirit if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus see in the old testament the spirit would come on individuals for specific times for specific circumstances uh, and, and and he would be given for that. He'd be with him for that. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, since the Holy Spirit has been given, uh, Jesus said the Spirit would be given. If you are follow, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the, the power of the God Spirit living within you. So he's with us all the time. And here's the thing about the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of God in you will always direct you to operate in the character of Christ. The Spirit of God in you will always direct you to operate in the character of Christ. You will do things in accordance with His character, things like love and kindness and goodness and patience and self-control. Those will be the kinds of decisions you make because it's the Spirit of God moving you and pushing you into more and more of the character of Christ. He will never, God will never lead you to decisions that contradict His character. And if they do, those are not of God. So there are two really bad choices. Number one, if you're a follower of Christ, to ignore the voice of the Spirit. And number two, just for all of us, no matter what, to ignore virtue. Those are just bad choices. And if you ignore those options, your heart will become hard. If you continue to ignore the options of virtue, and good character, your heart will become hard and you will extend your mess. There's something that we call, some, some people in the church have called a check in my spirit. Right? I got a check in my spirit. What that means, there's something that God's spirit is, is saying, oh, don't do that. Oh, don't, you want to do that, but don't do that. Or, you should do that. I had a check in my spirit. And, and, and for some, it's just a matter of just a conscience check. Right? Ah, That's probably not the right thing to do. And whenever I have ignored the check in my spirit, I have always regretted it. I've always regretted it. And it's always cost me something. And why does the Spirit of God pull you sometimes in ways that are very hard and seem very counterintuitive to the emotion that you're feeling at the moment, it's because God always wants His very best for you. Even when it's hard, God always wants His very best for you. And if you ignore the voice of God's Spirit, and if you ignore virtue, you will extend your mess. Your mess will become messier. You can't clean up a failure in character with another failure in character. You just can't. Every mess, as I've said, comes with some bad options. Everyone. I'll just borrow more money. I'll just, I'll tell another lie. I'll, I'll reach out of, I'll, I'll react out of uh, anger. I'll react out of vengeance. Sometimes it's because of our pain. I'll hide the evidence. See, but you can't clean up a mess with bad options. You can't clean up a mess with another mess. David was faced with an opportunity that was a bad option. And that that decision that David would make in that moment in the back of that cave when Saul walks in as as seemingly a, a prime opportunity for him to take the throne, that decision would define his story. But there would be a day where he would have to tell his wife, he would have to tell his kids, he would have to tell his grandkids how he reacted in that moment. Grandpa! How did you become king? Well, grandson, we were in the back of this cave, and, and King Saul, your great-granddaddy, he came in, and well, he was going to the bathroom, and I snuck up behind him like a good soldier, and I slit his throat, and I murdered the king so I could be king. That's not a great story, right? That's not a lot of courage of character. Or his wife, honey, what happened to my dad? Well, not really, not really sure. Something about him, they found him in a cave and his throat was cut. And uh. See, those, those kind of decisions um, can define our story. And, and, and the tension we find ourselves in is sometimes they feel justified. For David would have been justified. Here's a guy that's trying to kill him. He's actually tried to kill him. Would it have felt justified to take him? Yes. Would it have felt deserved? Like, did Saul deserve this? Maybe so. In the minds of many, maybe it was even expected. But was it virtuous? No. This was not the virtuous des- <laughs> These guys come up with some of the most amazing graphics. Okay, so, so sometimes, when we're going through something, we feel like that person deserves it. I feel justified in this. I feel like people would even expect if i if I take this choice, but is it the virtuous choice? that's a question. that's our tension we find ourselves in. Sometimes we feel like it's just too tempting. I, I just this is, I, I just feel like I, I can't get away from this, but, but the scripture in 1 Corinthians 10 thirteen says There's no temptation except such as is common to men, and God will always make a way of escape. There's always a way of escape from that decision. David had a way of escape in this particular moment. And in 1 Samuel 24 4b, it says Then David crept up unnoticed. David was a soldier, he knew what he could have done. And he crept up unnoticed and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. His men are sitting in the back of the cave. Saul never still has known what happened and, his day, and I think his manner of thinking based on what the scripture will say here in a minute. What in the world? What are you doing? This was your chance. This was the moment we talked about. David, if you won't do it, let us do it. 1 Samuel 24, 5 and 6 says, afterward David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He's not just, he's conscience stricken that he even took the, piece of his robe because touching something of the the king was like touching the king himself and he said to his man david did the lord forbid that i should do such a thing to my master the lord's anointed he still recognized saul as his master the lord's anointed here's one of the things that happens sometimes In our breakdown of character, in the midst of a mess, and in the emotion of a moment, we lose a sense of honor. And David maintained this honor, even even though the guy wasn't honorable. Even though the guy maybe didn't deserve it, he still maintained this sense of honor. He He goes on to say, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. What David is saying is, it is not my responsibility to replace what God has set in place it's not my responsibility verse 7 it says with these words David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul they wanted to and Saul left the cave and went his way Saul never knew what happened Saul went up there did his business so now all of Saul's men are waiting down in the desert it's hot The animals are waiting. All of this march has stopped in this pursuit of David. They're all. They see now Saul coming back out of the cave. He's coming back down the hill. They're all trying not to, you know, try to talk, you know, change the subject and not to feel awkward because they know where Saul's coming from. So, So he comes down. He gets back on his animal. And he begins on his way and they begin their march again. And this is where the scene gets pretty amazing. If you could just visualize this scene in your mind. You you picture David's in the back of the cave with his men. His other men are other other places scattered. All the army of Saul is down here in the basin. They're all moving. And Saul has just come out of this cave, gets on his animal. And David comes out of the cave. Verse 8, listen to this. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord the king so here comes David out of the very cave that Saul had just been in and he has the piece of, of Samuel's robe in his hand and he says Saul and from down below Saul and all of the people in that army could look up and they could see David come out of the same cave that Saul had just been in and that moment they all knew what just happened or they all knew what could have just happened or what didn't just happen. Verse 10. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you. His own men. Right? But I spared you. He, he, David protected Saul even when da- Saul's own men couldn't protect Saul. I said I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 12 goes on. It says, may the Lord judge. And I want you to just, just grasp what David is saying here. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. What, what he's saying here is this statement of trust that even though this is something I could have done, even though this is something I wanted to do, even this is something that in, the, in my emotions and in my frustration, see, it was in these caves where David wrote a lot of the Psalms, some of these Psalms that we read, where he says things like, God, where are you? God, why are you hiding your face from me? God, why am I hiding from my life? He had that emotion going on in him, but he didn't respond out of that emotion. And he says, may the Lord avenge, because he trusted that God was able to do and fix this mess better than he was able to do out of the reaction of his emotion. But my hand will not touch you. Here's essentially what David was saying, and here's what I think God wants all of us to say. I'm choosing the courage of character over the short sightedness of self satisfaction. I'm going to choose the courage of character over the short sightedness of self satisfaction. Would you just, in fact, say that aloud with me if you're willing to make that kind of a declaration? Would you say it with me? I'm choosing the courage of character over the short-sightedness of self-satisfaction. Man, can we apply that to a lot of areas of our life. See, most bad decisions are are to satisfy our basis desires. Selfishness, vengeance and anger, greed, sometimes lust, protecting our, I I gotta do this thing that's gonna protect my image. I don't want people to see that side of me. What happens in this story is seven chapters later, a random Philistine shoots a spear and it goes through David's armor, I'm, I'm sorry, through Saul's armor and, it, and, and ultimately Saul falls on the sword and he, he dies and David becomes king. Your mess isn't the story. How you respond to the mess is the real story. How you address the mess, your response to the mess is the real story we all find ourselves in messes some by our own decisions um, some by our own sin uh, some that are outside completely outside of our control but the question is what kind of a person will you be in the midst of the mess what kind of a person will you be coming out of that mess don't perpetuate the mess by taking the bad option which there will be plenty of And we have to ask ourselves the question, what story do I want to tell about my life? What's the story I want my life to tell? What's the story I want to be able to tell to my kids? That in the midst of this mess, I still chose the courage of character. What's the story I want to tell? What's the legacy that I want my life to to speak of? When somebody hurt me in a relationship, when I faced financial breakdown, when I lost my job, what's my response going to be? Which of the options do you want as a permanent part of your story? And I'm just going to give you the answer to that. The option you want is the virtuous one. The option you want is the one that's of good character, that's of courage, of character. You're going you're gonna to want the option that says, you know what, in the midst of a, of a temptation to tell a half-truth, I told the entire truth. I paid every penny back. I refused to badmouth him to our kids. I did not post what I wanted everyone to know about her on Facebook. <laughs> I did not escape into my addiction. I took responsibility for my mistakes. That's the virtuous choice. And I would just encourage you, don't turn your, your leak into a gusher by a bad option. This morning as we close out, not only this message, but this series, I want to I wanna give you a truth that many of you know, and if you don't, that I, I, I just desperately want you to know and understand. And that is this simple but profound truth is is that the gospel is the answer to every mess. The gospel is the answer to every mess. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it is a a book, you know, it's, it's a book from Scripture, but it is not a book full of perfect people, right? In fact, when you read the Bible... Even when you read about the, the, the people who are called the heroes of our faith, I mean, it's full of all kinds of mess. There are messes all over. These people's lives, in many cases, had all kinds of mess going on. If you think about some of the fathers and the founders of our faith, some of the heroes, Abraham, right? A uh, great man of faith. The, you know, He kind of launched the, the people of God, you know, he had all of the promises, but Abraham lied about who his wife was. Abraham slept with his wife's maidservant and had a child by her. And, and there's just, he had all kinds of mess going on in his life. You think about Moses. Moses was hot-tempered, killed a man out of his hot temper. Uh, you think about uh, uh, David. Now, David was responding pretty well in this story. You go a little farther on, and David didn't make the same good choices, and, and in fact, he saw Bathsheba, he, he slept with Bathsheba, and Bathsheba was married to another guy. He put that other guy on the front line, so that guy would get killed, and, and he was trying to cover it up. So, you know, David made a mess of himself, but still, God didn't define David by that mess. God defined David as a man after his own heart, which is beautiful. Yeah, you, know, you think about Solomon, the, the, the person we attribute to as having the, the most wisdom, and there's certainly a lot of wisdom from Solomon, but just don't even get me started about Solomon all of the wives and concubines he had, right? You, you go into the New Testament and the New Testament is replete with beautiful stories of faith but also a, a number of messes. We look at the book of Acts when the early church started. It was beautiful. It was powerful. The apostles were out preaching the gospel and people were coming to Jesus by the thousands. And Acts 2 says they were they were in one accord and they, and they loved each other and they were sharing everything. And everybody says, let's be like the early church in Acts 2 and Acts 4. But what, you don't, what we don't remember when we romanticize that beauty is all of the mess that followed that beauty because virtually all of the letters that were written after that were to address some problems that were happening in the church at the time. So the Bible is full of all these messes and if you just think about like marriage, let's just take marriage as an example. And you're hard-pressed to look in the Bible and just find an example in the Bible of, oh, here's, that. here's an ideal picture of a marriage in the Bible because there's mess in all of them. The picture we get of an ideal marriage in the Bible comes from where? It comes from Ephesians 5 when it says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The, The only perfect example we have of how to treat one another, of how to deal with the mess, is to look at the life of Jesus to look at the heart of Jesus. That's our example. That's where we draw our example from. The the, the scripture gives us a guide, but Jesus is the answer that it points to. Jesus came into our mess. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the message it says he, he came and moved into our neighborhood. Jesus came right into the midst of the mess, and he showed us by his life how you can live in the midst of the mess, how you can respond in the midst of the mess. And Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus will cause you to face the mess that you find yourself in with a new heart and with new eyes. He will lead you into options, often options that seem very counterintuitive, that will redefine your story. And, and he, will, uh, instead of, he, he will lead you into decisions that would be instead of vengeance, you're administering love. And instead of frantic cover-up, you're speaking truth. Instead of cursing, blessing. Instead of the quick fix, He will walk with you and change you through the process. The beauty about Jesus is he actually redefines your mess. You're not defined by your mess in Christ. You're defined by who he sees you as. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he redefines your mess as a message of grace. He redefines your mess as a message of restoration. He redefines your mess into what can be a message of hope. That's what Jesus can do. The gospel is the answer to every single mess. And I want to give you just this last thought that I think is really crucial. It's important for us to discern the mess that we're in. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we find ourselves in this mess. We don't like the circumstances we're in. And so we're going to address the mess. We're gonna fix it. We're gonna be. We're gonna deal with truth. We're gonna. We're gonna get to the root of the problem. And what happens is when we start to address it, sometimes the mess gets worse before it gets better. Anybody ever experienced that? Sometimes the mess gets worse before it gets better. Uh, and this is my final story. I promise. I'll let you get in the sunshine. On February thirteenth, I came home. It was a uh, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. I'd been gone for the weekend. My wife. I got home about three o'clock in that afternoon, and uh, that was the twelfth, I think. About three o'clock that afternoon, and then um, <clears throat> she said, "Honey, I think we have a leak in our house." I don't know what my deal with leaks in my house is, but she said, "I think we have a leak somewhere." And I said, "Show me." And so she showed me out, uh, kind of in in front of the, where the bathroom is. Uh, we have some laminate flooring and the laminate flooring was starting to buckle and bubble and so indeed there was a mess and I started I started pulling it up and I started seeing the water, our, uh, we're on a concrete slab so I started seeing the water there. We've had some issues in our housing development by the builders who originally built it back in the early 90s that they put this cheap copper pipe in and so that with a combination of the kind of water that comes into our house it would create these little pinhole leaks and so we'd ha- we've had to fix several of these in all of the houses in our neighborhood. So I thought, well, this is what's happening. I got one more of these leaks. And so I went to the place where I thought it was coming from because it was coming from the bathroom and down out, out of the bathroom. So I opened up the wall again, and I've got lots of holes in my wall. Open up the wall to see it's not leaking inside the pipes. As I began to dig, dig it out, I realized the water was coming from up from where the toilet was. What had happened is our septic pump had failed, and the alarm system had failed, and so that was all coming up into our, into our, through our bathroom and into our front room. I had to peel up all the flooring. I had to take out the toilet. I had to pull up all the flooring out of our living room. Mind you, now it's February 13th. Uh, my wife has no water in the house because that's all turned off. Um, Valentine's Day is the next day and I am I'm bound to determine not to make her go through Valentine's Day with that kind of so I'm pulling all of this up I have to pull it all the way up through the living room into the kitchen I'm pulling up flooring Uh, we had to have a a company come in and dig up the septic system our backyard was a disaster if you came to my house on February 13th in that evening or on February 14th in that morning you would have thought Chris your house is a disaster and it didn't look that bad initially. If, I, if, if you'd just come in on February 12th and looked even though it was leaking, well, it doesn't look that bad. You can't even hardly notice it. But unless I address that, it's going to make my mess messier. And sometimes when you're working on the mess, it will get worse before it gets better. It will look bad, and you'll, and you'll be tempted in that moment because it's hard and because it takes the courage of character. You're going to be tempted when it gets harder, before it gets better, to give up. You're going to be tempted to say, this isn't worth it. But I want to tell you, don't give up because the courage of character and, and acting on the voice of the Spirit of God, which will always lead you to the character of Jesus, is always worth it. Just because things are messy doesn't mean God's not in it. Keep going because ultimately God will take you through this and He will redefine your mess as a message of life. Would you just stand with me, please? Let's pray. God, God, I don't, even, I don't even have to ask. Because I know just by my experience with people and my experience in my own life, there are people in this room that are in a mess. And there are people in this room who have struggled to know how do I address this mess? And who have been tempted to take that bad option because it just seems satisfying in a moment. And God, I pray that by the power of your holy spirit, we would make choices that would not perpetuate this mess into messy er, but that God would turn this mess into a message of restoration, into a message of life, into a message of grace into a message of hope. And Lord, I pray, God, I pray, that nobody in this room would would believe that their life is defined by their mess. But Lord, you walk with us in the mess and you change us through the mess if we will continue to keep our eyes on you. God, we love you. God, we thank you for this beautiful sunny sunshiny day and i pray that as we go we would go in gratitude that you never leave us and that you never fake uh, forsake us and that the gospel is the answer to every mess we face in jesus name we pray amen